Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us back for another episode of Commitment Matters. I'm your host, Mary Schuster, and we have a fun two-for-one episode for you today. Wayne Stanley is back, as well as Marcus Hunt. Together, they own Title Success, which is a company that helps title companies with all aspects of mergers and acquisitions. So whether you are an owner who might be thinking about selling or expanding and buying, or if you just work in this industry at a time when many mergers and acquisitions are going on all around us, it's a good time to look at some of the 360-degree consideration that surround M&A activities. Now, most of you already know Wayne, either from being out and about in the industry or from his previous visit to the pod back in Season 3, Episode 2, when he came to talk about marketing. But you may not know Marcus. He's a title guy from Birmingham, Alabama. He's also an attorney who has represented real estate and franchise clients across the United States and internationally. So together, they bring a full spectrum approach to thinking about and analyzing the future of your business. We cover all the aspects of the M&A topic that you'd expect, and plus a few you might not, like change management, the mistakes we make in talking with employees about mergers, ways to structure purchase or sales to meet some goals that are less obvious than the financial aspects of a deal, and more. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and hope you will too. So please enjoy the wisdom shared with you today from Marcus Hunt and Wayne Stanley. Wayne and Marcus, thanks for joining us today and welcome to Commitment Matters. Thanks, Mary. Great to be here. Thanks for having us, Mary. Well, it's certainly a timely topic. There's a lot of mergers and acquisitions going on out in the world today, and I suspect there are many more being contemplated. So you guys are here to speak to us with your expertise. You guys launched a company called Title Success. Let's start by telling people what Title Success does and why you decided to launch it now. So Mary, really kind of started out of a need in my world, I feel like. I own a title company in Alabama and have offices kind of throughout the Southeast and was looking at expanding and spoke with some underwriters and really felt like there was a void in our industry to have some guidance and counsel when it comes to acquisitions. And so partner Pat Smith and then and Wayne, we kind of circled up and, and felt like we could fill the need in, in this space and offer, you know, title companies that are looking at either expanding or looking for exit strategies, trying to find a way to to help come alongside them and provide advice and, and some resources when it comes to to those areas. And so I love that you handle both sides of that equation. Do you have a sense right now of, are we seeing more people looking to expand or more people to start thinking about exiting? Is it about equal? What's the mix like? I think you're looking at, it's pretty equal and we can talk, dive deeper into baby boomers and those owners that are, I feel like kind of at the stage in life where they're looking at a transition. But I think there's also a lot of young companies that are looking to grow like mine is. And then there's also this kind of consolidation effort, I feel like, in our industry with companies that are a little bit larger looking to expand their footprint and add other offices and other, whether it's locations or just other talent. I mean, we've all talked about it and seen it in our industry. Finding talent is tough. And sometimes an acquisition is really just about finding talent. And I would agree. I think one of the things that we're seeing, whether you're the one being acquired or the one looking to uh, make these purchases, 
I think that it's surprising a lot of folks that there's a lot of appetite in the industry to not be an owner, but not necessarily exit the industry. And I think that surprises a lot of folks to know that there are a lot of people doing these deals that want that. They want to keep the knowledge base and we can get more into that too. But I think regardless of that, that's kind of a a big thing in all of this. People are, they're a little tired right now, Mary. Gosh, I can't imagine why you guys, what's happened? What's been going on out there? Well, I think that's a really good element to kind of dive into a little bit deeper here at the top of, I think some people who might be interested in buying might be surprised to learn that while there is higher interest than normal, I would say in selling, it's not necessarily sell and immediately exit. So you would have the benefit, I would think, depending on how you structure the deal of having, if you do this acquisition, you still have the market presence by the former owner, the operational continuity that's there. So it's not, it can be far less complicated than striking out and doing a new brick and mortar. Are you seeing a lot of that? I think so. And what Wayne said is, I think, very important and it is missed a lot. There are a lot of owners that are willing to stay around. And in our world, just talking to uh, the companies and they're looking to acquire, that's that's really one of the key pieces. What is the current owner going to do? And there's a strong preference for keeping that owner on board, whether it's a year, three years, five, I've even seen five years, uh, but just owners are looking to get out of the day-to-day management. They want to just get back to what they did really well, whether they were a great like title search person or salesperson, they want to get out of the day-to-day, just kind of grind of that operational piece and, and get back to love it on taking care of clients. Mm-hmm. Not ready for the lazy boy yet, but tired of sweating payroll. Yeah, we, we, we see that a lot. And I think that's important for a lot of owners to know, like you don't have to be ready to completely ride off into the sunset yet, but there's an opportunity to stay, maybe take some of the, the weight off your shoulders and continue to do what you love doing. And again, maybe realize a kind of a financial exit right now, or maybe it's a, it's paid out over time. We can talk about kind of finance kind of piece here in a minute, but there's a lot of opportunity there for those owners that are wanting to stick around yet looking to also maybe make that transition. And a lot of the times it makes, I think a lot of these deals even sweeter, you know, if they don't have to worry about the talent side of things and the disappearance of so much expertise and, and knowledge in these companies that that makes, especially there are a lot of first time acquisitions happening in the industry, companies that never really thought that was possible for them. And that gives them a huge sense of continuity for their company. And so it can be a big, you know, selling point in your deal. Let's start first by talking with some of those, whether they would consider themselves a prospective seller or someone that thinks, hey, that's still having the job that I love, but not doing the parts that I don't necessarily adore sounds attractive. So let's let's talk to somebody who's maybe thinking about that first. So one of the things that you do is help them find prospective buyers. How do you go about that? Well, we've kind of developed, and there's kind of a, I say kind of a three-prong approach when we're looking at prospective buyers. Number one, and we all talk about, we always, our underwriters are critical when it comes to just kind of knowing the market, knowing who's in the market as a potential buyer. So working with underwriters, obviously that's a great spot to find our, our buyers. At Title Success, we're developing and launching kind of a some ways to be able to connect. I mean, that we find that's kind of one of our 
key pieces is just kind of being a matchmaker when it comes to connecting potential buyers and sellers. And so we're even developing, it's not quite official yet, but I think we can mention it here. I think Wayne can agree. A site, kind of a matchmaking site that has a database of potential buyers and potential sellers. And so being able to see those and connect through a a digital platform, I think will be very useful. And then the other kind of what we've seen is just the we kind of have built a, a database of of buyers, and that's what we want to continue doing through, whether it's marketing or advertising, just kind of the circle of wagons around those potential companies that are are in the buying space. And so we've got that database to be able to match the the seller that comes along, and whether it's in a certain market or whether it's a, t- a certain type of business that they're doing, to be able to properly connect those buyers and sellers. And this is a really personal thing for a lot of these folks. You know, they've owned these companies, whether it's five years or 50 years or 100 years in some cases. And so we're trying to marry that. We've got a lot of efficiencies in technology that Marcus is talking about where we can connect people in that way. But I think a real skill set of title success is that we have these relationships throughout the industry. So when we have really unique requests for Again, whether they're the buyer or the seller, through our relationships and through those that we know, we're able to kind of help them a little bit to think through what's really going to be best in this process for you and who's going to match up with you for the long term. Each of these sellers and owners are are very particular, kind of what Wayne was saying. Some want a, a local company down the street to acquire them because they want it to stay local and small and kind of have an issue with uh, a big group coming in and buying them. And so, and then others don't, but I think there is, there's for each seller, there is a a very unique kind of outcome that they'd like to see. Well, and that's exactly what I wanted to ask about because it's not only a professional decision for them and a personal decision for them, but they're also making a decision that's going to impact their staff for better or worse. I mean, it's pretty unavoidable, right? And so I've seen with these things, how important it is to have, for the seller now, a very clear set of intentions. Because if you get into the arena and negotiations start happening, you can lose sight of what's important to you so quickly as it gets underway. So how do you counsel sellers how to do some sort of internal housekeeping, internal question asking of themselves before they embark on on something like this? Well, I think that's our number one question when we find a potential seller out of the box is what do you want to do, seller, current owner? What do you want life after the transaction to look like? That can go a hundred different directions. It can be, again, I'm ready to completely hang it up and head out the door and I don't want to look back. It could be, "Mm, I'm good with staying around for a year and, and really making sure the transition happens. And some people, again, like we were talking about earlier, are looking for just a, I'm just ready to get out of management. And so what does that look like for me to just kind of slide back into a more employee role and take some of the the management piece off of me? So I think an owner needs to have that clearly defined when they, when they come to the table. But you can help them get that definition if they, if they think, well, I don't know what I want to do. I just know that this kind of hurts right now. <laughs> yeah, and, and we can talk through all the different scenarios because, as Wayne said, a lot of people, a lot of owners don't know that, hey, they may want you to stay on board or there may be different ways to kind of set up this exit strategy for you. And so we do. We talk through all those pieces, what that looks like, and then really kind of let them narrow down, okay, 
my best case scenario is this. If I had, if I could have my dream scenario to exit, this is what it would be. And I think once we get to that answer, then we can really move on with then, okay, let's go find your potential buyer now. And I think that's a big, important differentiation for title success too, is that there are lots of firms out there that focus on mergers and acquisitions and can walk you through that kind of stuff. But Pat and Marcus have worked in the industry for years. I'm entering my 10th year this year in the industry. They have just a few more than that on me, but we all work in the industry every day and see these people and have that sort of long-term view to a lot of this stuff that I think matters for them when they're having those conversations that you're talking about, Mary. And sometimes, you know, part of title success being a good partner to these companies is that sometimes the conversation leads to maybe not right now. It doesn't have to be forced through that now is the right time. It may be, let's work on some strategies so that in two or three years, you're in the best position possible for that sale acquisition merger. And some of them, you know, may even get to a point where they're like, actually, maybe I want to be on the other side of the table. Maybe I want to work for three years and figure out how to, to grow the other way. And so I think that's a big piece of it too, in terms of customizing their solution and all this. Well, so let's flip over to the other side of the equation then and talk about prospective buyers. It's an interesting time in the market. And I want to talk about that a little bit more later. But if, if I think, well, the we sur- literally survived the last two years. My operations are going well. Maybe I want to expand, but I don't know if I want to take that on. What are some of the things you walk through? Somebody who isn't sure if they're ready to take that leap or not, how can you help counsel them up to that decision making before before you go shopping? <laughs> well, Mary, we kind of discuss with potential buyers or those even companies that are new to like hitting their stride and looking at growing. Do you want to buy or do you want to build? And we've helped clients in kind of both those worlds, whether it's a kind of startup or go launch another office in another market. But the other piece is, again, buying and acquiring a, you know, an office in a location that you think you want to expand your footprint into. And so I think that that's kind of a piece that a potential company that's looking to expand and grow has to decide. And even in my world, it's a hard road to go down the build because, again, it's talent, it's finding location, and it's starting to create relationships. I mean, it's a hard road, and it takes a lot of time. And so I think that's why we've kind of hit this perfect storm. We're in a stage where you've got a lot of potential partners that are looking to sell, and it's a it's an easier road if you find the right partners to just make that acquisition and grow through that direction. I focus them on the the external side of that as well. Once they're (laughs) thinking about their acquisition, whether it's their first or their hundredth of thinking through what are you going to do on day two? Day one is always the balloons and confetti and maybe the anxiety that you're talking about, Mary, with the staff and all of that. But day two is when you've got to focus on so many other things. And so helping them through that period too, is I think where a lot of like the consulting that we do post acquisition comes into play. All right, well, let's talk about markets because another thing that you guys help with is determining proper valuations, which we've got some anomaly years behind us immediately, and we may have some anomaly years, financially speaking, ahead of us. So how do you help both buyers and sellers sort through the interesting valuation climate right now and help craft a win-win for everybody? 
Well, that's the number one question that gets asked, I think, out of the, out of the gate. <laughs> What's my company worth? And Pat and I, kind of when we're counseling clients, it's always, well, it's, it's what someone's willing to pay and what you're willing to sell it for. That's kind of the intersection. But, and it's a little different for everybody. Um, I think I see a lot of companies these days that are looking to sell. Everybody thinks, okay, we're trying to time the market. We want to get the best price for our company. But then you got wise buyers out there, and I've spoken to a bunch of them over the past six months that are like, no, I'm not paying this premium for the past two years. We've seen this crazy run up. We've all been busy and successful. But realistically, we're rolling back into like 2019 numbers maybe. And we'll see kind of where that goes as the rest of the year plays out. But we can't just – I will base it on the past three years of EBITDA because that might not really be kind of the – the rolling number over the next few years. And so although buyers want to be fair and put a, a fair price out there that they're willing to pay, they also got to be wise when it comes to their acquisitions and kind of the financial outlay that they're going to have to to commit to to be able to acquire a company. And so I think at this point now we've got to, as consultants kind of in our space, educate these, you know, the sellers about that, that they're uh, you're not going to, you're not going to get this premium that you might have been thinking, but it's still a, I mean, let's be honest, the past five years have still been amazing in our industry. And so whether we look at a five-year average or whether we take and substitute out one of these success, you know, highly successful busy years with, you know, a 2020 number or a 2019 number, there's ways to get there. And, and again, I think it's just coming back down to a little bit of a, a normal number and, and finding that and then being able to agree on it between the buyers and the sellers. Well, this has come up at a couple of conferences that I've been at, not from the stage, but from the conversation spaces. You guys know that by that, I mean bar, where I've been able to have some conversations with some employees in existing shops where they think their owner might be thinking about starting to plan their exit. And we have this strong producer who's maybe a millennial at the top end, maybe a little bit younger, who says, you know, one day I would love to own this agency, but I think my owner's going to pop their chute before I'm ready to go get an SBA loan and and become the sole owner of this company. And so I wonder if, did you guys find some of that? Do you ask around either the owner or in the company? Oh, it's kind of sensitive to ask in the company, but I know those people are out there and I wonder how hard they are to find and cultivate. Because I think if you find them, you could structure a pretty good deal for both their current ownership and for their eventual ownership. But is that prevalent or are we just starting to see more of that now because of our demographics and things? What's going on on that? I think we see it. And it's kind of goes back to asking that owner, what what would they like to see? What's their kind of scenario? And And in that conversation, we always ask, you know, is there a family member that wants to take over the business or is there a key employee that wants to, as you kind of see getting to the space of managing and, and owning and operating the company. So we always have that conversation when we're kind of out of the gate with the owner and, and trying to get a feel for what their company looks like. Wayne, I'll, I'll let you kind of jump in there too. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that's one of the hurdles of this industry is that I say this all the time, even when I'm talking about just the marketing side of things, we make a lot of assumptions. And I think that, Sometimes that person, you know, is sitting there thinking about 
well, I, I think that I'm doing all the right things and that I'm sort of in line, you know, that there's this hierarchy and I'm in line to get this and have this opportunity at some point or vice versa. You know, the the employer, the owner is sitting there thinking that I'm grooming them to take this over. But if no one actually says those words to each other, how do you know how to plan for that? And then eventually, you know, one day somebody makes a move and the other has their feelings hurt or whatever it may be. And I do this a lot in some of our marketing trainings where I'll have people draw a circle on a sheet of paper and write down, you know, who is going to carry on your legacy when you're you're not at your company anymore, whether that's through a merger or acquisition or just through retirement and kind of aging out of the industry, who is that person? And then I say, you know, if you don't have a person in there, we need to talk. If you do have somebody in there, do they know? Do they know that they're that person? And I think that's a big thing, you know, whether you're in the mindset right now, like you're talking about, Mary, or thinking about it into the future, you've got to start having those conversations now because I do think we see this a lot in the industry, Marcus, where people assume that their family members that currently work there are going to want to take it over. And then that conversation happens probably a little too far down the line. And they're like, they find out, oh, the son, daughter, uncle, you know, nephew doesn't actually want anything to do with actual ownership and you have issues there. So I think communication has to be there. I don't know if you have any other thoughts there, Marcus. No, I think that's important. And I do think it kind of, if it happens, it's kind of way late in the game. We have worked with what I consider some very wise owners that were knew they were going to transition out three, five years down the road, and they really put someone in place to be their successor. And whether that's a successor from an ownership level or just a successor that's going to run the company, which makes an acquiring company that's coming in, makes it that much more attractive to know that the owners kind of it has been replaced or that role has been replaced. And so I think those are, again, very proactive, important things to ask up front and to dive into if you're an owner. Well, and to have those conversations, you know, as well as I know, we have a lot of third and fourth generation kids that may or may not be youthful, but kids of owners, children of owners who are out in the shop, they're doing the work and sort of assume that they're going to be next, but it's more out of feeling of an obligation rather than excitement. And so a lot of times without that conversation that you guys are talking about, like a real, let's get real honest with each other, eye to eye conversation and or conversations more likely, because we've seen this happen before where the next generation comes in, their heart's not really into it, but they think that they're supposed to do it. And what can happen is it can really throw off the senior family member's exit plan because they're not going at it with the gusto. It, it's, it is truly more of an obligation holding up the family company name or something like that. So yes, I agree. The sooner you can have those conversations, the better. And they're hard to have. They're hard to have. I remember, I mean... <laughs> Not quite equivalent, but I can remember my grandmother when she was getting up there in years, every time I'd go home to visit, she'd say, now let's walk around the house. What do you want? And I'm like, Graham, I'm not ready to have this conversation. Like, I want you to have your stuff. And so I kept kind of pushing back. And she finally sat me down one day and she said, this is important to me. I want to make sure that you have what you want. And she said, I'm not going to give it to you today. I'm just going to put your name on it so that when it's time, it comes to you. Know, oh, okay. Well, that's a different conversation. And I think some of these younger, whether it's a family member or just employee who's great and enthusiastic, can also be very hesitant to have that conversation because you look and feel like a vulture and it's weird. Well, and they, they may not have any idea on 
how to approach that conversation or what it really means. You know, they, they think, especially if it's not actual family, but somebody that's close to that or is sort of in that type of role that may be taking over that sees a lot of conference travel and the ability to take more time off and that sort of thing, but don't really understand that in your first few years as owner, you may not have that same lifestyle, same schedule, same level of responsibility as your really taking over the reins. And so uh, the conversation is hard, but you've got to, you've got to force it to happen. Yeah. Well, speaking of communication, Wayne, I'm not going to have you on the podcast without talking about communications. And you made such a good point. In this industry, we are some of the best thinkers you'll ever come across anywhere, ever, ever, ever. We're not always good talkers, communicators. So I know that communications is part of what you help with. And having been through a few mergers and acquisitions myself, I can tell you this is always the thing that either goes wrong or there's not enough of. So I'm just going to throw it out there. Let's talk about communications during a merger or acquisition. I would say that I think that we are good communicators in this industry. You know, we wouldn't get six plus million transactions closed a year if we weren't good at communicating, but I would say, and I, you know, if anybody sends you some hate mail from this, you can forward it my way, but I don't think we're very effective in our communication. I think we are, I talk a lot about how we are within our four walls. We do all the trainings, you know, we do great things like RamQuest user group and all of that to make sure that we are functioning at a really high level. And then all of a sudden we step outside into the sunlight and we're kind of like, you know, vampires or something. <laughs> like we don't know how to communicate anymore. How do we act in this world? And the same is true with mergers and acquisitions. I think sometimes, and it's something that Marcus and Pat and I talked a lot about before I got involved with title success was just people don't think about after this happens, they think that the meat and the hardest part of this is the negotiating the deal, but it's afterwards making it all happen. How do you communicate a new culture? How do you speak to existing customers? What's your thought process for how you're going to go after new customers? How are you talking to your team about why and when this is happening? What's changing in terms of leadership? A lot of times, a lot of big stuff that happens are huge changes in technology and training and processes for these companies that have to adopt all of that and to really be thinking about not even the marketing side, but back to what you said, Mary, about the communication side of it. And do you have a plan in place? We've been brought in many times where we are at kind of the 11th hour. Everybody's about to sign on the dotted line. And I'm like, how are we rolling this out? And no one, it's you could hear a pin drop. <laughs> no one has a real solid clue. And Marcus, you've done plenty of these even in your own company. I mean, you can talk about the importance of it in a, in a more practical sense, I'm sure. Well, it, it really is. It's the real work begins after the ink's dried on the, on the document and we're at, uh, like Wayne said, day two. And we, we hit the real life of the transition and, and rolling into building those relationships and culture and how are we going to communicate amongst the new office and what does that look like? And so it really is. It's one of those pieces we could really roll out a whole podcast, seminar, work, whatever you want to call it, just on this piece of it, because it's so important. You can do all the right things in getting the deal done and completely fall on your face when it comes to, again, what the first six months of the the new acquisition looks like. And so I think you've got to have a plan in place for that post-acquisition success. And that's just as important as kind of the pre-acquisition work that you're doing. And so 
we come alongside a lot of clients and kind of coach that piece. It's one of the things Wayne and his team does really, really well. They understand it. They know how to put it out there and, and make it where it's attractive and and have a plan. And so I just can't emphasize that enough as part of the process when it comes to acquisitions. I couldn't agree more. I think that is so critical. You talked about the first day with the balloons and the confetti, and and I've seen this more times than I would care to admit. So, you know, everybody kind of knows something's going on. By the time you get to to that day one changeover day, everybody kind of knows something, and, and you gather all the staff together, and there's some anxiety, but some excitement, because we don't know, and you see your old owner and your new owner standing up there, and then you kind of get an idea of what this meeting's about. And invariably, somewhere in the first 10 minutes to try to alleviate anxiety, someone or both of them will say, nothing's going to change, folks. And immediately, you've both lost credibility with your staff because everybody knows that a merger or acquisition does not happen so that nothing will change. And I think just changing that tone and, and manage, engaging in some change management processes comma, clearly communicated, comma, can make the difference in, I'm sure you guys have some some horror stories of how things have gone wrong that you've seen. And maybe folks would benefit from hearing one or two of those so they can help avoid those potholes, if you will. Well, I think, and Mary, you kind of nailed it. You do, you roll into this transition and you've got to, you're trying to merge two companies together. I think one of the big potholes issues that I've seen, you got to do this on the front end, is matching culture because you roll in with a completely different culture and you try to merge two cultures that aren't aligned. You can try as hard as you want. There's some things you just can't get around. And I've seen several times where this culture's never lined up and then there's just this this constant headbutting, I felt like, when it comes to the two companies really connecting and, and really merging together. We talk about culture a lot. I think that's one of those you're just on the front end. You need to learn as an acquiring company, what is that company's culture? Is it going to mesh well with yours? And then being able to, once the transaction is done and, and you're into the putting everybody together, does it work? And and have you done all the things, whether it's communication, whether it's the plan post-transaction to be able to make those those cultures align? And so that, that's one of those areas I feel like that I've seen where it's kind of fallen on the you know two companies, just it didn't really work out as planned. Marcus is good cop, so I'll be bad cop. I know Mary, Mary wants the juice here. I'll say on the on the good cop side of things that I think that a lot of companies do say, you know, nothing's gonna change. And you said it hurts their credibility right away. And I often encourage people to work backwards and think about be specific about what is staying the same. And a lot of times, especially when you're talking to your customers your frontline staff aren't changing. The closers that they're going to be used to and probably love aren't changing. And that's the kind of stuff that you lean into. A lot of things that's going to change in terms of your marketing and communications mix is going to be on the internal side that ultimately might take a little while to affect your customers in a positive or a negative way. I won't give a specific example on 
a merger or acquisition where that kind of fell apart. I'll give one more on because uh, I think it would it'd probably give it away. But I think with any kind of change, whether it's I, I give this story a lot of new brands. And so especially if you are changing company names or something, this could happen with you. But I have had it before where somebody has changed a company name or released this new product with new branding. And I walk up to them and I say, this looks amazing. Like, this is fantastic. You guys must be so excited. Tell me about it. And somebody will say, it's just a name change, or we just changed the colors. It's just a new logo. It's just a new owner. That kind of stuff can happen. And then I always describe it as sort of, I've walked up to you with this balloon in my hands and you've popped it. And now I'm sitting there with this soggy, we all know that feeling of a a popped balloon in your hands. It's that sort of wet, soft balloon. Nobody wants that. And now I have zero interest in learning more about this and you've lost me. And whether that's through internal communication or your external marketing or whatever that may be, that's the kind of stuff that you have to think about. Again, whether you're merging, acquiring the buyer or seller, whatever it is, you have to think through what are those dominoes and how is that going to be perceived by your customer base? Because for better or worse, perception is reality. Yeah. And I think especially for that selling owner to have that message not only clear in their mind, but a good plan for executing it is so valuable because they're already anticipating the relief they're going to feel by not being an owner anymore. And they go to the golf league or they go into the bank where their accounts are and is a customer and they, oh God, I can't wait to get out of the rat race. And personally, yay, we're all, oh, good for you. That's great. You've got a retirement plan or a phase out plan, or you're just throwing the keys in and walking away. But You haven't satisfied the very next thing that they wonder, which is what does this mean for our relationship? And that gets brought up a lot, you know, especially right now as the market has turned a little bit in the the industry. I think that if you're waiting for somebody to explain or describe that other shoe to drop, that if you don't tell them, they're going to create that story themselves. And I think that's the case for all of those types of things, even in a merger and acquisition where you do have to be a little more tight-lipped about it. There are often NDAs involved and you can't talk about it until you're far closer to that closing date. I think that still, if you're not helping with that narrative and painting that picture for them, they're going to have something else in their minds. So with the market obviously in transition right now and with people worn out and tired and with the heavy M&A activity we've seen going on in our industry. Forecast out for us the next three, five years. Do you think these are going to remain strong? Do you think we're just in a little bubble here and everybody's going to kind of make their moves and then settle back down? What do you guys predict? I think we've got five to 10 years of strong activity. I think a lot of it is we've got an aging out ownership population. So baby boomers that had successful title companies that are looking to transition, they don't have family or a key employee that's willing to kind of take the reins. And so I think there's a a lot of, a lot of sellers that are going to be in the market, but I also believe that the companies that are looking to grow, see, this is the best vehicle for growth. Again, we talked about at the beginning, whether it's talent or just being able to be able to step into a footprint where there's relationships that are already built, I think it's just very appealing. And so I see this playing out for five to 10 years. I think the big question kind of circles around what's the valuation going to look like? What's the economy going to do to valuations? What are buyers willing to pay if there's 
you know, it's kind of that supply and demand. If there's a lot of opportunities for acquisitions out there, what does that do to the multiples that are being offered up for acquisition? So I think that's kind of where the question marks or the unknowns kind of land of valuation numbers and multiples and what people are willing to pay as the market stays pretty active. And as far as prospective buyers, is it exclusively still other companies who are already stakeholders in this business, or are we seeing any non-traditional interest from non-market-related buyers? Well, I think we can all kind of agree that there are other players rolling into uh, our space from real estate brokerage franchises that are out there that every broker that I've spoken with in the real estate world is their ownership has said, hey, we've got to add other streams of income. And one of them is title and closing. So I think you're going to see more activity in that space. We've actually gotten a lot of calls from real estate broker owners that are looking at adding title to their services that there are companies that they own. And and just to, the margins are so slim in, in the real estate brokerage world and owners, you know, owning a real estate company, they're trying to find other means to add to the bottom line. And I think title's one of those. They're, they're adding mortgage companies to their mix. And so I think that'll be a, a big piece. Of, there'll be big players kind of in the acquisition world of title companies as well. Yeah. And I think another one of the big pushes for people wanting to know what's my worth, you know, help me with my valuation is that there are still a lot of venture capital companies and things like that, that are calling every day for some of these folks, especially if they're in high volume markets that are saying, Hey, we'll offer you this. And they have no idea. Is this the best deal I'm ever going to get? Is this a low ball? I've never been offered anything for my company. And so I think whether they're VCs or not, you know, I think that, you're going to still see that sort of interest from outside of the industry for a while now too. The more tech we adopt and the more forward we get with what we're trying to do in terms of the the broader real estate transaction, I don't think that's going anywhere anytime soon. All right. Well, what other tips and tricks or topics should we give people a glimpse into today? Mary, I think one area, just we kind of, again, talked through about valuations, but financials, that's always out of the gate. One of the pieces that we ask for. It's always, what's my company worth? Well, we need your financials. And so we always advise clients, have your financials ready, one, have them cleaned up. Because again, that's critical to kind of get drilling down and getting to a, a bottom line number. And one of the things that's always fun is the the peeling back the onion and seeing what all things have been run through the company. But in the big picture, like from a doing valuations, we really don't care. We just need to know like, okay, you're running a, a company boat through the you know company, or you got horses that you uh, are, the company owns, whatever it is, it, it can be random, crazy stuff. We just need to be able to back them out so we can get to a real number. So a lot of people are really like hesitant to really open up the books and for us to dive in and create valuations. But we always tell people, just don't worry about it. Let's just get to the they number. They should know that's perfectly normal. Yes. Let's not get hung up on it. Right. Yeah. I think another one that we we did touch on at the beginning, but you know, Marcus talked about how we use our underwriter relationships and all of this. Some, and I don't know, Marcus, if you want to talk more about it, but there are some underwriters that have programs and opportunities for agents that are are thinking about this space on either side of the table that a lot of them don't know about. I agree. And whether that's 
just helping connect a buyer or seller or helping connect with a consulting company like ours. Other underwriters you know, have lending programs. So there, there might be some lending opportunities with certain underwriters. So I, I always circle our underwriters in whenever we're doing acquisition work because they are such an important piece. A lot of the local sales and state managers really kind of have their ears to the ground as far as who's doing what in that in a market or in a state. And so, again, working with the underwriters is critical when it comes to due diligence and, and finding opportunities. Are there 10,000 ways to structure a deal? I think it's 10,001. There is. There, there's always, again, whether you're willing to, what you're willing to sell for and, and what someone's willing to pay, but then kind of all the ways we can get there and whether that's structuring the deal, whether that's how long someone's going to stay on board. Some of those are, are we offering incentives for key employees to stay around to make sure we retain talent? So there's a lot of different ways when you're putting a deal together that you want to things to consider and things you can do to make it happen to create a, And our goal at title success is to create win-wins on each side. So if it's an owner that's looking to exit, but really has some unique things that they want to do or stay around longer than maybe what's typical, we can make it all work and put it together. You just have to have those discussions and communicate well and, and really get to the, the bottom line of, of what the goals are for each side. I think another thing that I would mention in all of this is that it is sort of the popular thing to do right now. And people do have that whole FOMO effect, the fear of missing out. And so I think we hear from a lot of agents all over the country that are like, hey, if you hear of anybody in Florida that's selling, let us know. We think we want to buy. And so I, I think a lot of these companies that, like we've talked about, they've had a few really great years financially. So maybe they're in a position for the first time to really think about this and to do it in a way that's not going to burden the company and all of that. And if they're looking to acquire another company, to really step back and have those conversations internally. And, and we're happy to help them facilitate those conversations, but to really think about why do we want to do this? What makes the most sense for us to grow? Are we interested in purely the volume or are we interested in the people and the culture and really growing a presence? Because it's, they're very different things and the way that you go about it is very different and the work involved is is very different. And a lot of times they haven't really thought about that. They see the dollar signs or they see that this is going to help in terms of another stream of revenue, but it's not as easy as it looks. And there are some in the industry that are doing this all the time and doing it really frequently and they work really hard at it and they have whole teams dedicated to thinking through how all of it's going to work or they, they use companies like us at title success and whatever that is, you've got to have a plan in place. It's not something that you can really just say casually. Like if we've, if you know somebody in, in one of these great markets in Idaho, let us know and, and we'll make it happen. Yeah, exactly. Well, it certainly is timely. And, you know, in this industry, we're not entirely special unicorns, but we're not exactly generic either. And and so a, a kind of a generic business broker is going to have a few of the fundamentals, but they're just not going to be dialed into all the nuances, all the possibilities, all the considerations. So I love that you guys are providing this service. And I hope some of our listeners avail themselves of the opportunity. Thank you, Mary. I do. I think it's one of the big topics in our industry right now. And I think over the next five to 10 years, it's going to stay at the top as far as people looking to exit, companies looking to grow through acquisition. 
And I guess I would just wrap it up in, in saying that it's never too early to start planning if you're a seller. Again, even if you've got a 10-year window, start having that conversation because, again, it may be someone on staff that it's wanting to take over, and you may not know until you have that conversation and start the planning process. Or you maybe have to do some things to really get the value up in your company. And so planning, I think, is just so critical. And even like Wayne discussed earlier, especially that post-acquisition planning. And so that's just kind of my kind of ending thought is that just having a plan in place from the front side to the back end of it, it's just critical to be successful because you can't just snap your fingers and like, yep, I'd like a, a new title company in or in the Orlando market and overnight it happens. It, it just doesn't work that way. There's a lot that goes into it from culture to planning to all the pieces that make up a, a good transition. And one of the best pieces of advice I ever got in my career was that it never hurts to have the conversation. So if any of this buyer or seller sounds like something that folks want to talk through, that's what we're here for. And we're more than happy to entertain those conversations, even if they don't actually lead anywhere. Because like we said, we are members of this industry and care about it deeply. So we don't want people to be uh, duped or falling into bad deals and all of this. So if it makes sense to chat, that's what we're here for. Well, and thank you both for the conversation today. I know you've helped somebody out there. Thanks, Mary. Thank you, Mary. Thank you both for helping us think about some possibilities in new ways. This is certainly an interesting time in our industry. And you guys might just find yourselves far busier than you expected. Now, listeners, if you or someone you know would like to talk with Marcus and Wayne, you can connect up with them via today's show notes. And we promise to keep everyone up to date as things on the ground evolve in this subject. Until next time, remember, in every situation, there is what we can control and what we cannot. So if you must fixate on one of those things, let's make it about what we can control. Are there more skills you could acquire? How about a professional designation you could earn? Is there another role in your office that you could learn and possibly expand into? Now that we have a little more time back in our days, we have a little more time to invest back into ourselves and into our careers. Little changes accumulating over time really can add up. My guess is you haven't had time in the past couple of years to bolster your credentials. Now that you do have some more time, what can you do with it? Before we can ask others to invest more in us, we have to also invest in ourselves. And Investing in yourself matters. Becoming better at what you do matters. Because, of course, what you do really matters. <laughs>